it's lovely to be with you today. We, me and Rose have managed to uh, get away for a little bit of a break here, and I, I think I give Trevor a little bit of a panic just here, because uh, I was talking to Trevor over Facebook, and Trevor mentioned something about the, uh, about the song, and I said, well, it's half done. <laughs> and Tre Trevor sent me back a text going, Joker. <laughs> and I sent him back one saying, no. <laughs> I have finished, Trevor. So. so last week, Trevor would have started a series. So we are in uh, Hebrews 10. Uh, and this next uh, part that we're doing is the title is Let Us Enter God's Presence. So when? Title. Let Us Enter God's Presence. Let. <laughs> so it's like going into school teacher mode, isn't it? Let. So let us enter God's presence. You know, I've got memories of childhood. I've only got vague memories of childhood. I don't think it's because I had a particularly traumatic childhood. I think I just have got a terrible memory. Um, and I, I had quite a strange family. You, you're prob 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 probably not surprised to know this, that my family were rather strange. So we didn't really have um, Santa Claus um, uh, as such, we, we, we had Jesus on Christmas Day, uh, and we got up in the morning, listened to Handel's Messiah, uh, and there, then we'd go and visit the sick in hospital. Um, so so that, that, that was my, my kind of typical uh, Christmas morning of Santaless, but it doesn't get you away from wondering about this magical elf, does it? Uh, you, 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 might, you, you might not believe in it, but you might be a bit scared of the magical elf. And despite the fact that we didn't have Santa, it didn't stop my parents taking us to shops and sitting us on Santa's knee and having our having pictures taken with Santa. But, you know, the magical, mystical elf was a little bit scary because he had the power to say whether you were naughty or nice and whether you were getting any presents that year. And... I always find it quite a traumatic experience to go and visit Santa in one of these shops because what if, what if he really was a magical elf that could see into the darkest secrets of my soul? Because I wasn't exactly um, a gentle child. I, I got into, up to a few tricks and bits of mischief. I was like joking around and... Uh, I, I guess I've ne never stopped joking around. It makes me, makes me think of um, Alan Russ. Some of you will remember Alan Russ, but, but others won't. And the reason I was thinking think about that is I was thinking about Sizewell coming up next year. So if you haven't booked for Sizewell, it's, it's me doing notice as well on Preaching Wednesday. It's a clever thing. So if you haven't booked up for Sizewell, feel free to go. It's where we go on church holidays. But there's this guy called Alan Russ, and he was a total joker. But what Alan Russ used to do is apart from winding everyone up and planting trees and stuff in people's gardens while, while they're away on holiday and weird things, is whenever he went out when he was at Sizewell, he came back, rushed into his room, and then rushed straight to the toilet. Um, like clockwork. So at Sizewell, they've got these wonderful doors that are on these like, really powerful swing hinges. So what I did was, while, while Alan was out, I got a screwdriver and took the handle off of the door on the inside of his room 
and put the handle, a screwdriver, and the screws on his bed uh, when he got back. So, so, he, so he's got back, come in from outside, rushed in, door's gone clunk, and then suddenly seen the, the, the handle there. What I hadn't appreciated at the time was how difficult it is, apparently, to screw a handle in while you're, while, while you're doing this. So, so, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, as an adult, I still appreciate a, a, a few pranks. And as a child, um, it was the same. But, you know, I used to look at the, the, the children that would get to Santa and, like, they'd be running in, right, full of confidence, like, I want a pony. And they're like, whoa, where's that come from? Well, I, I, I'm just a little bit worried. And, you know, it can be a bit like that for us when we're thinking about entering into God's presence. Right? David said, where can I go from your presence? Like, if, if I go in the farthest sea, you're there. The highest mountain, the deepest depth, you are there. And this idea of this all-seeing God can be quite challenging to us because we think, like, how can we ever come into his presence? And, you know, sometimes we can come in on a Sunday morning and think, like, you know, I'm not sure I should be here this week thinking about the week that I've had, how can I come in and find acceptance? James 4, verse 8. Sorry, there's no PowerPoint today. I, I, I posted something on Facebook. It, it, it's only because I couldn't, couldn't do the green screen in between uh, coming back from holiday and, and whatever else. James 4, 8 says this. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So I want you to think this morning at the start of this service, what might keep you away? What keeps you away from entering into God's presence? You know, it can be quite a difficult thing, thinking about entering God's presence. In the Narnia book, Susan's talking to Mrs. Beaver. And Mrs. Beaver says, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. And, you know, it can be a bit like that when we think about coming to church, being part of uh, the body. We can, we can wonder where our place is. And just like those children that either are a bit wary of Santa or rush in, there are two things that can happen. We can have a lack of confidence about coming in to the presence of Christ. David, when he'd sinned with Bathsheba in Psalm 51, verse 11, said, Don't cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. David had entered a time of his life where he knew he'd messed up and he needed to come back before God. And in that prayer that he pours out in Psalm 51, he says, don't cast me away from your presence. Or we could be overconfident. You know, it's so wonderful, the scripture, because Psalm 138 verse 6 says this, though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. See, God says that he looks out for the humble, but those who are proud, those who are above themselves, he sees from afar. 
So we've got to think this morning, where are we? As we, we talk about entering God's presence, are we just here? Are we fully present? Or are we have a lack of confidence about where we are with Christ? Or are we overconfident? Are we more certain in ourselves and who we are and our place in, in the hierarchy, in the structure, in our seat at the back or whatever else it is that brings us comfort when we're at church? Yeah, you know, there's always a longing for meaning and acceptance. That's what part of being human is about. We long to have meaning and acceptance. Psalm 63 verse 1 says this, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And you know, sometimes it's in those places where we feel afar from God's presence, where life feels dry, that we really can call out to God and earnestly seek to be in his presence. You see, when Jesus died, he died for purpose. Jesus didn't just die as a historical event 2,000 years ago. The Bible tells us clearly that Jesus came and accomplished several things. Jesus came to defeat all the works of the evil one. But in 1 Peter 3, verse 18, it says, For Christ also died for sin once and for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. So when we're looking at coming into the presence, this was the purpose of Christ. The purpose of Jesus was to be able to bring us into the presence of God. So that it isn't about confidence or overconfidence, but about the work of Jesus Christ. You see, it isn't about us. It isn't about our state. Last week, Trevor was preaching, and we heard about how our position can bring us into God's presence. Our position that we've been given through the sacrificial death of Jesus means that we can be brought into his presence. Trevor was telling us about how we have a high priest who has gone before. Not a normal priest, but the greatest of priests. That we don't need somebody else to mediate for us because Jesus does that. That it's the power of Christ that changes us. Not any leader, elder, or anyone else. So let's refresh our memory about the text that we are using for this series. And we find that in Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Is anyone like to read that for me? Because I just realized I didn't actually write it out. And it'll save, save me looking it up if, anyone, if anyone's already there in the scripture. Hebrews 10... Can you come up and use the mic though, Darren? I did kind of deliberately leave it blank because I thought you wouldn't want to hear my voice all morning. Is there any hard words in here? Obviously, should be first. <coughs> Sorry, was it nice? <laughs> it is in 
from visiting, I mean, <laughs> no need to scratch. <clears throat> and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly, without wavering, to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. And let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now the day of his return is drawing near. Amen. So this week, as I said, we're talking about drawing near. And we're focusing our attention on verse 22, which says, Let us draw near with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So today we're going to look at the four different parts of that verse. Let us draw near with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So the first part of this verse is, let us draw near with a sincere heart. And the first thing that we need to notice about that is, let us draw near. It's not draw near with a, with a sincere heart. That's a command. Drawing near is an invitation. It's not an instruction. We're asked, we're invited to draw near to God. Our presence is wanted. It's not something that's demanded, commanded, expected, or anything else. Our presence is wanted. Let us draw near. It's an invitation. You see, when you come face to face with kings and royalties, it isn't always so. In Daniel 3, verses 4 to 6, it says this, And the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the very moment you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, the bagpipes, and all kinds of music. Yes, bagpipes are music. It says it in the scripture. You are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. You see, that's a command. Like, you hear the trumpet, that's it. Like, face down on the floor, like, grovel in the dirt. This isn't what we're talking. We're invited in to the presence of the king. Psalm 65 and verse 4 says this, Blessed are those that you choose and bring to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. You see, it's an invitation. God invites us into his presence. Blessed are those that you choose. We are chosen by God who you bring to live in your courts, a place, that we can, a, a place that we can dwell in. And not only can we dwell in the presence of God in this life, Jesus says that he goes to prepare a place for us in a heavenly life when we pass from this earth. 
God prepares a place for his people because he has chosen them and he's brought them to live with him, whether in this life or in the life to come. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. See, when we draw near to God, it's less about um, a set of actions. It's about a set of attitudes. Very often we can think we've, we've got to put on our Sunday best uh, to come to church. Growing up in Presbyterian Scotland, God, I, I'd probably be shot if I walked near a church looking uh, anything like this. You'd be expected to be suited and booted and so my, 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 my hair would have been licked into uh, a, a ni nice normal parting uh, about nine million times on the way to church. But it's less about a set of actions. It's about a set of attitudes. It says, let us draw near with a sincere heart. You see, this is about our heart, not about our clothes, not about our appearance, not about our eloquence with words, not about how many degrees we have or anything like that. This is about heart. And all of us have got one of those. It's something that doesn't exclude anybody. It includes everybody. When we draw near to God, it is to be as we are. God does not want us to be amateur actors. We've been invited in to the presence of God. Uh, you can't see them up now, but in our, in our church, we usually have some big boards that say, come as you are. You know, a sincere heart comes as it is, warts and all. It doesn't mean the, the, the heart has to look precious, but it, it's a heart that isn't pretending it's something that it isn't. It's not acting. God doesn't want us to be amateur actors, but he wants us to be absolutely authentic. That's in our mission statement, is about creating a people that are authentic, God-centered, purpose-driven. It's about reality. In Matthew 23, verses 1 to 3, Jesus talks about some people that don't present that reality Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees that sit in Moses' seat. So because they're in a position of power, be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do because they don't practice what they preach. You see, it isn't about coming to church or coming before God and trying to be better than we are. He knows how we are. And that's how he welcomed us in to his presence. This is about the acceptance of God. You know, that chapter in the Bible, Jesus goes on to call the Pharisees hypocrites six times. The word hypocrite is a word from the theater. It's a word that's all about acting. Hypocrite was a character. It was somebody that would put on a mask and the crowd would see th this actor and th th they'd go around and th they would be so-and-so 
And then they would see the character put on the mask of hypocrite. And when you put on the mask of hypocrite, instead of being this person, hypocrite might be a very different person and act in a totally different way. Hypocrite, when we look at what it means, is all about trying to pretend to be something that we are not. Play acting. God isn't interested in our play acting. He's interested in our presence. He's interested in us being here, being at his table. If we are away from God's presence, how can he be with us? How can he pour out his heart of grace and mercy and love that we've been hearing about this morning on us? You know, you might be poor at prayer. You might be rubbish at reading the Bible. You might be terrible at tithing. You might be horrendous at hospitality. But none of those things disqualify you from being in the presence of Christ. Working in education, specifically behavior, as I do, quite often one of the things they do is they to get children in school and at home is this kind of partnership to have sticker charts at school and sticker charts at home. And they, 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 what, once they've filled up their bars at, at school or their bars at home, they get a reward. We're not rewarded with God's presence. We don't need a sticker chart to come in because that's not who God is. That's not his character. You know, it's okay if you're any one of those things. In fact, it's okay if you're all of those things. Poor at prayer, rubbish at reading, terrible at tithing, horrendous at hospitality. It doesn't matter one job. It's all okay. Just like this building, God welcomes you just as you are in absolute authenticity. Access to God's presence isn't dependent on your perfection, but it's totally dependent on his. Access to God's presence isn't dependent on your perfection, but it's absolutely dependent on his perfection. You see, God is leper-loving, criminal-consorting, Destitute delivering. That's who Jesus is. Read, read the pages of the Bible. Don't, sometimes we present ourselves with a different Jesus than the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible is all of these things. Leper loving, criminal consorting, destitute delivering. That is who he is. And that's why we can enter into his presence. You see, when we are broken... We wander into the presence of God because that's where God is. God is with the broken. See, God is the great I am, always present with us. He isn't the I was, the I might be, some days I am, some days I'm not. He is the great I am. He's the powerful presence. You know, Psalm 34 and verse 18 says this, The Lord is near 
the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. So when we talk about entering into the presence of God, it's not about character, it's not about clothes, but it's about our attitude of we can come in because he has paid the price. You see, God is always present, always powerful, always perfect. When David had sinned with Bathsheba, he understood that his approach to God should be absolutely authentic. But also he understood that he would be absolutely accepted. In Psalm 51, verse 6, David says this, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. David knew that he could come before God in the truth of everything that he was, what he'd done, a murderer, an adulterer, and still stand before God in the presence of who he was, not who David was. God delights in truth. He doesn't delight in your pretense of who you think you have to act like to be in church. It's fine to be who you are because that's how he created you to be. God can't teach us wisdom when we're so busy holding on to secrets. God can't enter in when we can't be truthful before God. Having said all of this, it doesn't mean that we don't need to grow. It's fine to be all of these things. We need to remind ourselves that in 1 Thessalonians 2.4, God examines the motives of our heart. In Romans 6, 17, it says we need to be obedient to God from the heart. In 1 John 3, verses 7 to 10, it tells us that we need to be growing in godliness. So we can come in and find this absolute acceptance from God. But that absolute acceptance means it puts us in a place where God can minister to our life, where God can be the shaper and the changer. No man can change you, but God can change our heart. The next part of the verse talks about in full assurance of faith. The writer of this book actually devotes a whole chapter to faith in chapter 11. And one of those key texts is Hebrews 11, verse 6. And it says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him. To come to God, we need to draw near. We need to draw near his presence. We need to enter in. And feel that acceptance. Not acting, but just come. Absolutely authentic and absolutely accepted before him.
this is a chair. Uh, I'm sure people have seen sort of one of these before. When I sit, my faith of being upheld isn't in my ability to sit. It isn't because I'm a particularly accomplished sitter. My faith to be upheld is entirely in this seat which is holding my weight. My faith isn't in my ability to bend my knees and stick my bum out in a weird way, which is what you do if you haven't got a seat. My faith is in the fact that this looks a pretty solid chair. My faith is the fact that this chair's got experience of holding up people like me. It knows people like me. It's perfectly capable of doing the job that it is meant to do. When we're talking about coming into the presence of God and talking about faith, we're not talking about our faith in our own ability, our own qualifications, our own spiritual standing. We're talking about faith in the one that has the ability to support us, to hold us. Trevor was talking last week about our great high priest who has totally and utterly paid the price for us, is totally and utterly able. The, the cost has been paid beyond anything. This isn't about our faith. It's about God's faithfulness, about who he is, his character, his person. You see, we sit in church and we think, oh, I've got to have super faith. And we don't realize that all throughout the Bible, everyone had different faith. Romans 12, 3, the measure of faith. 2 Thessalonians 1, 3, growing faith. Matthew 8, 8 to 10, great faith. Romans 4, 17, unwavering faith. Romans 4.20, strong faith. James 2.14 to 26, active faith. 2 Timothy uh, 1.5, genuine faith. Matthew 6.30, little faith. Romans 4.19, weak faith. James 1.57, wavering faith. It's not about how supercharged our faith is, but who our faith is resides in. This passage can seem really intimidating about having a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. And we can kind of get this picture of a, a, a kind of spiritual super commando that is pure of heart and knights of old and going off questing because they're so pure of heart or are just so full of faith then nothing could possibly keep them away from the presence of God. And if we do, we totally misunderstand. Because coming into God's presence is about, all about who he is, about what he's done, our faith in his character. You know, it doesn't matter this morning if your faith is wavering, weak, little, genuine, strong, mighty, whatever, whatever adjective you want to put in front of faith, I can probably find you a stricture verse to, to match up with your faith. Faith changes, fluctuates. It isn't the same from one week to another. 
Things will have happened in your life that affect your faith level. But what isn't affected is God's ability to support us like that chair I just sat on. My faith in that is absolute. It's about him. You know, as we enter into looking at the last parts of this verse, we need to look at the, at the language. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having. That word in the middle means that the next bit, the next two parts of this verse, they have already taken place. They are already actually facts. They're not something that we're straining to be. They're not something we're straining to attain. They're something that we are having. Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Psalm 103 verse 10 says, He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. In the Old Testament, the writer tells us um, uh, about the sacrifices that they used to make to cover sin. In Hebrews 9, which is the chapter before the one that we're reading, it reflects back on this. And it says, The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanses our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we could serve the living God? You see, in the Old Testament, being sprinkled with the blood cleansed the outer man but didn't change the inner man. It didn't change the inside priest. It made holy that external veneer, but didn't touch the inner man. Jesus' sacrifice means that we have been sanctified. We have been cleaned from an evil conscience. It's more than just an outward spruce up or just putting on our Sunday best and that, that's what's going to make a difference. When we come to Christ, it's like having the most up-to-date operating system on our computers. You, you, you know that dreaded time, you, you, you pick up your computer and you're like, Windows is updating. You're like, Why do you choose that? But when we come to Christ, it's like our whole internal system is regenerated. The clutter that we accumulate over life and over years is taken away. Our hard drive is defragmented. We're able to, to run and not grow weary. The viruses that we've picked up through, through where we've taken our lives into, he takes them away, reboots us so that we can live in a different way. Galatians 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, God has already done this, having our hearts sprinkled clean. 
This is the work of Christ. Our heart has been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. See, when this passage talks about sprinkled, it's in the perfect tense. It means it's already happened. It's already been done, but also it continues. That's what the perfect tense is. It talks about an event that happened in the past, but the effects of it are still felt, felt forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That, that's what the perfect tense is. It goes on and on and on and on. The work of Christ didn't stop at the cross, but is constantly saving, washing, cleaning. Now, when Christ died on the cross, it was finished in that moment. But the work of sanctifi sanctification and restoration and washing has gone on and on and on. And that's why we can read in Romans 8 verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It doesn't matter how mucky or spotty we've walked in here this morning. Come as you are. But with a sincere heart. An assurance that Christ has already gone before. That you believe he is who he says he is. Because your heart has been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And your bodies, they have been washed with clean water. Now again, the writer's referring to the Old Testament in Exodus 30. It talks about the priests. Exodus 30, 17 to 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a bronze basin with a bronze stand for washing. And place it between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Aaron and his sons are to wash their hands and feet with water from it. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so that they do not die. You know, the, the priests washed with water, did the service. The next day, they washed with water, they did the service. We've been cleaned by the blood of Christ once and for all. You know, bronze, you can really polish bronze. The bronze waver would have confronted the priests with who he was. Mary, I'm unclean. I need to wash my hands. And the face would stare at him out of the bowl of water confronted with their own unworthiness. But Christ has totally redeemed us. It's a finished work. Again, this is the perfect tense. It says your bodies have been washed with clean water. Once that happened, you're clean. And you carry on being made clean and being made clean and being made clean. Don't know if you can remember the story of Peter. And Jesus is there and he decides that he's going to wash the disciples' feet. The, the dirty, the, the smelly bit. The, 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 the bit that soon got dirty and unclean. And Peter was really reluctant 
to do this. And Jesus talks to her about how being washed makes us clean and says to Peter in John 13, verse 10, he who has been bathed needs only to wash his feet, but he is completely clean. The work of God cleans us completely and utterly. Interestingly enough, later in that verse, Jesus tells his disciples to wash each other's feet. Why? Because we go out into that world and we walk in the makimaya of the world. We are clean, but we need to constantly bring ourselves before God. Because we have been cleansed, it means we have permanent access to God, which means Hebrews 4 verse 16, that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. So it doesn't, ma- doesn't matter if you stuff up, you've been washed clean. Both we approach the throne of grace to find mercy. 1 John 1 9 gives us some more advice about how we can keep our feet clean. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So going back to front in this sermon now, we heard about having, having our hearts clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with clean water. That means we can draw near. That means we can enter in. This is what Trevor was talking about last week, about who Christ was, the sacrifice that he made. Because we've already been cleansed, because we've been given a new conscience, we can come before God and be absolutely authentic. That's what a sincere heart is. Absolute authenticity. And we can be absolutely assured of Christ's work by our faith, not in ourself or our ability to live a sinless life, but our ability in who Christ is. So this morning, when we think about drawing near, it's not an instruction, it's an invitation. This morning we can come just as we are, grab warts and all, and realize that our consciences have been sprinkled clean, that our bodies are washed with pure water, and we are absolutely accepted in the presence of Christ. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your redeeming work on the cross, for your perfect sacrifice, for the fact that we don't have to dress up, posh up, anything else up to come into your presence because you welcome us into your loving arms, absolutely accepted. 
Lord, for those of us that feel bruised and battered by the world this week, this morning. Lord, in your presence, come and minister. Bring an absolute assurance of salvation, of acceptance, of peace and love. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.